Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Saturday, October the 28th, 2023, the last Saturday in October. Uh, earlier this week, we had an interesting conversation with a San Francisco-based artist, Carla Ortiz, uh, who's very concerned about what she describes as the existential th threat uh, of uh, the, the theft at the heart of the AI revolution. Uh, Carla is a concept art um, investigator. She's quite well known, and she's very much on the forefront of the uh, struggle of artists against some of these new AI companies. She uh, spoke at a Senate subcommittee meeting um, about the threat of these platforms. Uh, she's involved in a suit against uh, a couple of AI companies, um, text generators, Midjourney, uh, and another one called Stability AI. She particularly objects to the idea of these platforms as being presented as Stability AI does, as AI by the people for the people. She noted to me that these are big tech companies backed by billions of dollars of venture capitalists. My guest today is another very distinguished artist who has also been quite critical of the AI revolution and big tech in general. Uh, Hito uh, Style doesn't need uh, much of an introduction. Um, she has been described, uh, by The Guardian at least, uh, as art's most powerful person, a tireless questioner of humanity in the digital age. Uh, everybody knows uh, her art. We've all seen it one way or the other. Uh, she is joining us from Korchula in Dalmatia today. Hito, uh, thank you so much for coming on to Keenon. Uh, what do you think of the strategy of artists like Carla Ortiz in fighting these big tech AI platforms in the courts and politically? Do you think it's a wise strategy? Well, I'm being me, thanks a lot. I'm not sure if it's wise, but I fully agree. I think there is no way around it than trying to challenge these platforms on all possible levels. The court one, the Jubal Avenue is one of these levels. Hito, do you agree with um, Carla? I'm not sure if you're familiar with her work. She's she's quite in, involved in a lot of the, the digital imagery for uh, Hollywood movies. Do you believe that um, generative AI could make artists extinct? Uh, is there an existential threat when it comes to AI, when it comes to create the creative community? Maybe not extinct, but it will make labor conditions. It will basically uh, de make labor conditions worse. That's for sure. Uh, artists will have to work more, be confined to certain softwares, which they have to rent or buy, and uh, get less money. So art won't go in extinct but uh, it will get more difficult to make a living as an artist, for sure. What about the issue of intellectual theft? Carla's argument uh, <laughs> seemed to me, I don't want to put words into her mouth, is that her creativity is essentially being stolen by these platforms who have 
ingested all her images and, and then allowing everyone to essentially become Carla Ortiz without reimbursing her for her creativity. Is there a core argument there? Uh, yes and no. I partly agree with Carla, also because my style has been replicated now on mid-journey, um, which I find a bit funny, <laughs> to be honest. But I'd like to make a slightly different point. I think uh, visual content produced by these platforms is by default cooperative and collaborative. Always thousands of people involved in creating any such rendering, right? And I think it would be fair if the revenue or the profit or the benefit of these creations could equally be redistributed to everyone that contributed to it. And that's not only the artists, but also the people who do the behind-the-scenes labor with data, which are usually stolen by the platform. But there's lots of people who annotate the data, clean the data, tag the data, etc., etc. Working conditions are usually very bad for these people. Um, many of them work in the global south. So all of these people collaborate in creating these renderings, but none of them is remunerated or some of them, though, are, are paid something by the platforms, aren't they? Are you saying they're doing it for free yeah. or are they being cheap? No. no, no, no. They are doing it for very, very low wages. The type of data annotation, tagging, cleaning, etc., is usually outsourced to uh, companies all over the world. And people are paid a pittance for doing this work. But if it's not being done, then the data is useless for the platforms. So this is a core step, basically, the whole of creating AI renderings. And in each of them, there's hundreds, if thousands involved. So it would be a good to speak about, you know, collaborative creation, cooperative creation, and to think about ways how to redistribute, basically, both the attribution, but uh, also the benefit. Are you saying then, I, I don't want to personalize this with Carla Ortiz, because there are many other artists making the same argument as she is, is that um, artists in the West should be less concerned about their own intellectual rights and more concerned with the system itself and some sort of economic justice for everyone involved in the production of, of art in a digital world? Yes, uh, this is my point. I, I totally understand Carla's point of view and I support it to a degree, but I have to take who are involved in the infrastructure, the programmers, etc., etc. So basically, it's this whole chain of logistics behind the creation of AI-generated content, which needs to be taken into account, analyzed, and also criticized, because it's a kind of pyramid scheme. I mean, we could really um, compare it with the building of pyramids in which there had to be, there, there were thousands of workers involved, but the pyramid was just in the name of the ruler, right? We have a similar pyramid scheme now with AI platforms in some way. 
um, which obscure the huge infrastructure, the material side, basically, of creating those renderings, um, uh, which also, also, by the way, has an enormous environmental impact. So many of these renderings require a lot of electricity, um, energy and power, also water to be made. So this is an extremely energy-hungry infrastructure, which is in the hands of just a few corporations, which control basically uh, the tools of creation, if you will. And this is another aspect which I'm kind of concerned about. As an artist, or as a filmmaker, basically, as someone who works with digital images for many years, I just feel very uncomfortable working with tools or have very little control, honestly, right? They could be withdrawn at any moment. We have already seen um, such kind of schemes with companies like Adobe, who control access to my own, basically. And I think this is going to be intensified in terms of uh, machine learning based image creation software. It's interesting you use the term pyramid scheme. There are two ways of thinking about that. On the one hand, you refer back to the Egyptian pyramids and the way they were constructed by essentially slave labor and a a highly um, inegalitarian social political system. On the other hand, the pyramid scheme in our economy refers to a Bernie Madoff style operation in which uh, a few or a single sometimes fraudulent person, a Bernie Madoff, a Sam Bankman-Fried, steal <laughs> everything from everybody else. Um, are they connected? Are, are these two types of pyramid schemes, the modern digital one, of cryptocurrency and the pyramid scheme of the um, ancient Egyptian pharaohs, are they in, in many ways the same thing in your mind? Mm, I'd have to think about that. Probably there is something there. Um, but definitely the pyramid schemes that we saw with crypto within the last few years and uh, some parts of the AI industry are definitely connected. <laughs> there is one particularly insidious project called WorldCoin, which is a brainchild of Sam Altman of OpenAI, who also um, designed ChatGPT, among other AI tools, which basically hands out some fictional crypto entity called WorldCoin, to people all over the world, the global south, to get their iris scanned. No one really knew <laughs> why. And, and this is called a proof of humanity. People want to assign a unique identity to users. But basically, the Russian was that these data to train neural networks. So in many ways, the world of worthless fictional scam uh, financial products and the world of machine learning are connected. You talk about WorldCoin and Altman's involvement with that. Uh, it's obviously one of the more ambitious forms of, <laughs> uh, some people might call it digital surveillance or an ambitious 
way of of acquiring knowledge i think if i i can't speak for altman but if he was on the show he would argue it's a way of creating a certain kind of at least silicon valley justice you you've described companies like worldcoin and their technologies as being onboarding tools perhaps you might yes. say something about that and explain why worldcoin and some of the other nft and ai platforms are essentially uh, onboarding tools yes i think the whole hype around nfts which were basically blockchain certified gifs or jpegs um, was for me an attempt to get people used to using crypto tools like for example to get them basically fit uh, decked out with the whole infrastructure they needed to enter the world of crypto and these web tees were basically almost like the, the the first step the entrance often also you know um it, it was basically the, the sort of glamour glamour uh, freebie which was supposed to attract people into this economy and i think that the renderings by midjourney or dao-e or other such generators have a similar role to get people used to the idea that they actually need renters in the first place and that they need to buy or rent uh, tools and uh, softwares which have these elements now i'm not really sure why actually where where the the use case for these generators is right now um until now the renderings are pretty uh, weird let's put it like this if not outright ugly but i think that there is um to get people just used to using these tools and this is why i call them on Is this a, a, a conscious plot, Hito? Because you could extend your argument and suggest the internet was like that when, when we all started doing email mm -hmm. or when we all got the first browser. Suddenly we were hooked. Uh, but you could say the mm -hmm. same about all technology, whether it's radio or television or books. Mm -hmm. it, 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 what I what I don't understand in what you're saying is is uh, are you suggesting that the mid journeys and stability AIs of the world do they know what they're doing or the NFT companies or this is somehow knitted into the nature of history? That's a good question, but you know, of course, I see more use value to the let's say early internet so 2005 than to Uh, rendering made with Midjourney. The internet still had some useful applications, right? You didn't need to send a letter, for example, or information was suddenly on a much broader uh, and in, in in a much faster way. But I, I can't really see the use. There are some, for example, in science, definitely where you need to crunch big data. Um, you know, run massive calculations on a big amount of uh, numbers. I think there is a use case there. But for the everyday creative, let's put it like that, I'm not, not so sure about the use case at all. And this is one of the questions that I ask myself. 
and that I think that people should ask themselves, what is it we really need from machine learning tools? Which ones do we need? Which, which ones make sense, right? And I'm sure there are some which make sense, but most of them don't right now. We, um, we've had a number of writers on the show. Some are like Carla Ortiz and are very opposed to generative AI. Others, like Stephen Marsh, a well-known Canadian writer, believe that there is a very strong, and I'm borrowing your words here, use case for uh, generative AI when it comes to helping writers on, on the creative side. It doesn't mean that writers will disappear. It just means that they'll be their sidekick, their friend in terms of, of doing better writing. Do you disagree with, with people like Marsh? Do you believe that no. there isn't much of a use case, for example, with generative AI and writing? No, I, I don't disagree at all. I think that, you know, every writer, every artist, every filmmaker has their own process and there's no agreeing or disagreeing with it that that's just how it is and if he sees a use case that's great for him but what i'm worried about is that you know this use case or the need will be assumed as a default for everyone and that this will create new standards which force people to upgrade to, to new systems constantly etc etc also new dependencies on certain technological systems, which cannot just easily be undone after a while. No? Um, We're speaking with uh, one of the world's leading artists and critics of, uh, of the digital revolution, Hito uh, Steil. Uh, Hito, I want to take a, sh a short break. Uh, I want to thank uh, the people who bring us this show, Liberties, a quarterly journal of culture and politics. Going to run a short ad for Liberties, and then we'll be back to talk more with uh, Hito Steil about the digital revolution. Above all else, what we can do both as creators and ordinary citizens to fight uh, some of the injustices of the system. So don't go away, anyone. We'll be back in a second. Beyond the news, the noise, there is nuance, insight. Liberties is not just a journal of ideas. It's a meteor of intelligent substance. It's the place to be for engaged citizens. Politics, opinion, substance. Liberties is a triumph for freedom of thought. A quarterly of urgency, of cultural exploration, of intellectual delight, of immaculate prose. It's invaluable. Subscribe now or find Liberties at your favorite bookseller. And you can subscribe to Liberties at libertiesjournal.com. We have the honor of talking to Hito Steil, a filmmaker, visual artist, and writer. Uh, described as art's most powerful person. Hito, earlier you mentioned Adobe. You're a filmmaker. You rely on their tools. Adobe isn't normally considered one of the really evil big tech companies like Facebook or Google. Uh, but, of course, they have a great deal of power over filmmakers like yourself. I use their tools as well as a filmmaker. What should and shouldn't companies like Adobe do in terms of the digital future? What do you want them to do? And what do you thank them for? Well, I exited the Adobe Cloud. It was pretty difficult and I lost access to many of my former projects. This is why I'm so mad at them. But they made an attempt to basically silo their users, to basically lock them into their system. 
which has worked very well for them, less so for the filmmakers and creators, I think. Um, there's, there should be in these technologies uh, still the possibility for creators to retain, retain some control over their own work. That's basically all I ask. Ideally, the tools could also be shaped uh, by the creators themselves, which is, which is definitely not anything that's really happening now with the new machine learning-based image generators. They are basically pre-packaged. Almost all of them are black boxed, so we don't really know the algorithm. There is no way to change or modify it. You can modify prompts, but this is a very, very superficial way of modeling. So there needs to be more control over what a tool can also over one's own um, work. Could you explain when you say that Adobe locked you out um, and then they essentially yeah. took away your creative product, why couldn't you just download it and go to another platform? Uh, no, I need the Adobe software, basically. I can, of course, with many very tedious steps, convert another system, right? Which is what I do, but then I lose a lot. And, which I have to painstakingly reconstruct again. Um, yeah, that's basically the difficulties that Adobe creates if you want to leave their platform. So um, they ask you pay a monthly rent to use their products. Otherwise, you won't be able to open your own projects again and access them. That's, that's, that's the deal. That one company like Stability, etc., will uh, come up with similar. You've described the images um, of machine ne uh, learning networks like Stable Diffusion, Stability AI, Mid Journey as creating what you call mean images. What is a mean image? A mean image is an image that's absolutely average and mediocre and basically mm. is constituted by its own mediocrity because it is basically a compromise uh, of thousands of other images it is a populist compromise i should say you know um, or it is an average of all the images that a specific company managed to scrape or steal mm. or online. And this is why I use the word mean, but also to refer to some of the inherent biases that many of these image generators have. Being it, it's, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating argument. Uh, uh, Stability AI describes their product as AI by the people for the people. If someone from there might be listening, I think, ah, oh, this woman's just an, an elitist. She's against the mean image, the average image, which she describes as mediocre. She only believes in a few artists like herself. How would you respond to that critique? Well, I mean, if you think that a good piece of writing is if you basically throw all available books in a library, in a and stir them, you know, and uh, extract the most vanilla, less offensive, pleasing uh, extract that 
then of course, then you won't agree with me. But this is not what I think. I think art is always at the edges or uh, in the cracks. Is not an average of everything. Is That's this? Yeah, I, I agree with you. Is is this mean image somehow filtering down into people? I don't know if you've been watching the trial this week of Sam Bankman-Fried. Uh, most of the words that come out of his mouth are incoherent. Is is there such a thing as a as a mean person in this age of the mean image, Peter? Maybe. Is he a product? Is he is he the future? People, Maybe. when they open their mouth, the algorithm comes out, even if they're still people yeah. in a sense. I think he has been trained, you know, on a huge amount of financial jargon and sloganeering. Yeah. <laughs> and he is now basically like one of these text generators that regurgitates <laughs> all those yeah. slogans, which are by now, of course, uh, completely devalidated by the crash and bankruptcy of not only his company, but most of the crypto, almost all of the crypto's economy. The future is already here then. It's in Sam Bankman-Fried. Uh, we all know the, the science fiction books and films imagining a future where we won't be able to distinguish between people and machines, but it's already here, isn't it, Hita? Oh, yes, of course. I mean, that's one of the other side effects of these text generators that, you know, I mean, of course, they are being trained on huge amounts of data, but they also train people to behave like themselves, right? <laughs> So how do we how do we stay clean? How do we keep off the systems? We can of course shut our computers down, uh, but that's as we all know not perhaps realistic. I mean, even artists like yourself need a computer. You and I are talking over a network. Some big tech company is somehow profiting from this. It's, the show will get distributed by other big tech platforms. How do we maintain our, our, our humanity? How do we escape the mean in this new world, Peter? Well, I think, honestly, the labor movements around or against AI have given me a lot of hope, especially strike by the uh, Writers Guild of America, for example, the actors, but also the unionization of click workers in places like Kenya. So I think that people that work with these tools that have no choice but uh, to be confronted with its effects every day should try to organize as much as possible to try to fend off these, um, these consequences uh, collectively. And what about artists? As you and I were introduced by mutual friends at the Santa Monica a uh, museum, uh, and it's more than a museum, a kind of real, a, a, a museum which is alive in, 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 um, in, in Barcelona. On December 1, we're doing an event in Barcelona. I'm involved in, in, in creating, so to speak, a manifesto for artists about AI. You may, I don't think you can come, but uh, you, you're sympathetic to what we're trying to do. What should artists do? Should they be writing manifestos? You, you've been long in the business of, ma of manifesto writing and signing stuff. And I know you have a degree of ambivalence about these sorts of things. Uh, yes, I have agree of ambivalence. I mean, of course, it's very important, you know, to debunk the hype around AI, 
uh, to provide critical tools to think it through. But I think at the moment it's it's almost more important to basically organize as workers which are faced industry. Um, uh, as an artist, you could ask yourself, do I really need those tools? Some of them are interesting to experiment with. I don't disagree. I don't disagree with the, the writer that, you know, uses ChatGPT as a sparring partner. But I think that 80 or 90% of all the tools do not have any convincing use case as of now. And if artists use them anyway, then they are somehow also you know just giving them exposure advertisement um, attention and one should just reflect whether one wants to do it or not this is all about artists becoming more political of course by definition your work your influence is because you have strong political views we seem to live in an age where art and politics are increasingly bumping into one another you were involved uh, earlier this year in a, in a, in a dispute because uh, uh, on an award that was supposedly anti uh, the, the person giving the, uh, the, the, the person in the, whose name the award was given uh, was anti-Semitic this morning. There's a huge controversy about an art form editor who got fired after printing a letter opposing Israel's assault on Gaza. These aren't really so much digital issues. They're more than broader political ones uh, maybe this question is a bit broad but what 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 is the political responsibility of the artist of the creative professional in in the 2020s hito outside the internet because the internet isn't everything uh yes but i think we can definitely bring back the debate to or the question to also a digital level because I think many of these debates wouldn't be polarized to such an extent if it weren't for the dynamics on corporate social media, which of course have algorithms which feed on polarization. I mean, that's platitudes, everyone knows that, but we are seeing this played out every day now and in, a, in breathtaking speed, and with a lot of aggression and energy. And that's not a productive way to have any kind of debate. I mean, if you're an artist, go off Twitter. That's the first thing I can yeah. recommend. Yeah. You're not on Twitter, although you're on Instagram. I think you have no, some presence. Do you use it, uh, social media at all? That's a fake. That's a fake me on oh, Instagram. So you're not on any of these social media I'm platforms. on Mastodon. Mastodon is an open yeah. source kind of small. You, but, but that one doesn't seem to have been particularly successful. Is there any yeah. hope that social media can be radically transformed to reflect a, a more just digital future? Uh, at the moment, categorically, no. Not in this in form of industry. Absolutely not. Finally, uh, Hito, what about the the long view here? I do a show called That Was The Week with my friend Keith Tier. He, he always has an X of the week, uh, a, a, Twitter, a, a Twitter post that he likes. He has one this week, or he had one this week. We did the show yesterday with Vinod Kosler, one of Silicon Valley's most successful, wealthiest, and controversial venture capitalists. 
Um, and he talks about AI. He said, to restrict AI from training on copyright materials would have no precedent in how other forms of intelligence that came before AI train. He wrote, there are no authors of copyrighted material that did not learn from copyrighted works, be it in manuscripts, art, or music. You can't separate Gauguin's influence from Matisse, Velasquez's from Dali, Picasso's from Pollock, Beyonce's from Taylor Swift, nor Charles Taylor's from Yuval Noah Harari. The list goes on. I'm guessing you strongly disagree with, with Costa. How would you respond to that kind of thing? And it, it's... It's it's a fairly standard argument for disruption, for intellectual disruption in Silicon Valley. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the sharing uh, economy is a farce, right? It's just another expression for everything belongs to a big corporation, period. It's as if saying that, you know, the, the pyramid, which was constructed by slaves, um, is shared by the workers and the pharaoh, which it's not. It belongs to one person, period. And this, it's the same at the moment with uh, basically anything uh, produced and made with um, machine learning tools.